never meant to make you cry. Make your mind up. Hello and welcome to this Ibroxshire Rangers podcast. We're back after a, a week off and it's myself, Scott Patterson, your host as normal. And we are welcoming back to the pod, uh, Tommy McIntyre joins us again. Hi Tommy, how are you doing? Hi, I'm very well, thank you. Great to be back on the pitch. Good, are you well refreshed, I assume? I, I am, yeah. I'm looking here like a, a little villain with my uh, my black top on. I'm just waiting for the cat to jump up. You know what I mean? Kind of that type of thing. No, it's good to be back. Are you going out to deliver milk tray later? Uh, to be fair, it's probably it's probably more a caramac bar through the letterbox. <laughs> and also joining us on, on the, the pod this week, we're very pleased to welcome the Athletics, Jordan Campbell. Hi, Jordan. How are you doing? Hi, mate. I'm, I'm all right. Yourself? Yes, very well. You're very welcome. Thanks for coming back on. I know what it is. I think it's been about a year. So I, I think you just launched actually when I came on. So um, I know you're getting Dave Ching on. I'm, I'm lucky I even get an invite anymore. Absolutely. <laughs> you're a friend of the podcast. Just about on the list. So this week's podcast is brought to you by HHH Mortgages, the one-stop shop for your mortgage and mortgage insurance needs. Contact them today or when you're next available. Can 01453887179 or via email hello at hhhmortgages.com. They're available via their webpage, which is triplehmortgages.com, and also via Facebook at triplehmortgages.com. When you speak to them, if you are smart enough to mention this, Cybrox, myself, Tommy McIntyre, or indeed Willie Boyd, they will look after you. Very, very well indeed, uh, I'm assured, and I've spoken to them recently myself. Very impressive service. So, Tommy, you have been a busy boy. Last week, caught up with Dave King and, and Laura Fox from, from Club 1872 for a wee hour. Give us a wee recap on what happened. Yeah, it was, uh, it was great to have been uh, invited to speak to, to both Laura and Dave. Um, I think the biggest exclusive was just earlier that day, David shot a, an 82. Uh, around this home course, which uh, I'm told it was not that impressive. Uh, personally, I would kill for an 82 on any course at this point in time. But uh, no, we, we covered a lot. We covered, you know, his taking over or leading the team, to use his phraseology, taking taking over the club and regime change, how dilapidated and surprised he was with the dilapidation just of the, the bricks and mortar, so to speak, within the uh, within the club. We touched on Club 1872's legacy programme and the sale of the shares, why it's a tiered cost basis. Um, we touched on some of the treatment of people like Pedro Cachinha and the fact that uh, Dave is, just like all of us, sitting hunched over the telly when the games are on live, just willing us to get over the line. So I would recommend, if anybody hasn't listened to it, please please don't uh, go and do so on our YouTube or Acast, uh, etc. and let us know what you think. Tommy, I'm going to stick with you because I, I, I like how you refer to how he was, um, it was, it was quite obvious how keen he was to get things over the line, but also at the same time being very, very coy not to get too carried away. Um, he's looking forward to it just in the same manner as all the rest of us are, isn't he? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I did I did ask him, obviously, instead of that 82, if he'd shot 55, but um, <laughs> he wasn't willing to engage me to any great degree on that. No, he's right, you know, and it's, it's probably worth us saying as well, everybody's hyped up. Nothing's won yet. And we just need to get those four wins in the bag, you know, four more steps, um, so to speak. And he was absolutely right. And he was, you know, very keen to come back on the podcast and speak to speak to me um, once once the season is over. And in his words as well, we all hope that this Rangers team goes down in history for the right reason. Yeah. Because the other reason is unthinkable. It's, but yeah, it's a really strong and clear message that was coming out, which is 
get the four wins in the bag. How pleasing it is, however, for us to be talking about a Rangers team, a title on the line, and it's all in our hands. If someone would have offered me that at the start of the season, I think I'd have taken your hand off at the elbow. Jordan, I think four games down the line, four wins, all things being equal down the line. Um, when the dust settles after that, Dave King will be one of the people that a lot of Rangers fans will think of and think, my goodness, thank God he was around. No, definitely. I mean, as much as people, you know, credit Gerard and his, his coaching team, uh, his coaching team and the players, like, you know, they've done the business in the park. But you know, I think the gap with Celtic when when Dave King came in with, um, you know, the, the other investors, three bears. I think you look at the gap, and I don't think anybody thought it was feasible without them plugging that financial hole year in year out um, with their own money, essentially. So um, you know, if Rangers were. You know, thank you, thank Celtic with the Champions League revenue every year, while aiding within their means. Um, you know, it just wouldn't have happened in this timescale. So, um, you know, I think that he deserves an enormous credit. Um, as do as does everybody um, who, who's who's put in the money and, and fronted up. because um, it's, it's certainly a bold, you know, it's a bold strategy to continue doing that every year, especially when you know it's taken maybe two or three attempts to get to settle on the right um, the right structure, but you know, they've invested time and, and money in Gerrard's um, his team. And obviously, it's now, in the third season, it's now, now all came together. But no, I, you know, I don't think anybody when they're assessing the season can just look at it in isolation, whether that's just one year or the coaching staff or um, or, or in terms of building over three years. Like, this is not just a football thing. It's only been made feasible by, um, by the strategy, which, you know, people have criticised, but... Now, I think you look at Rangers and, you know, with the potential to get Champions League football next year and how well they've done in Europe under Gerard, you know, it's a remarkable record he's got. I don't think anybody thought that it was even possible for Rangers, you know. It was also the way for Rangers to, to get back into Champions League, you know, and then topple Celtic's financial dominance. You know, the only way was to get Champions League football was to topple Celtic domestically. No one thought you could actually do that off your own back by, you know, basically single-handedly taking the coefficient up uh, about 10 places, I think it is at least. Um, you know, so depending on how they do this year, um, you know, if they go quite deep into the tournament, they could potentially, you know, overtake Ukraine and seal an automatic place, which would mean, if it's even possible to say, next season's title becomes even more important in terms of finances because, say, Rangers qualify next year and, and the qualifiers get into the group stage and then they win the league. That's two years in a row, and if Celtic don't get it two years, you, you could be looking at that the financial gap and it's completely flipped on its head. Um, and then Rangers are set up for the next few years. You know, that's, there's obviously still a lot of dominoes to fall there, but yeah. it's taken a lot of dominoes to fall to get to, to this point. Um, so you can see it all coming together. Just an encapsulation of that, actually, because I completely agree with Jordan there in terms of I think there's been a surprising leap forward in terms of the European performances and being able to break through first to the group stages in, in the Europa League and then go beyond. <clears throat> and we still obviously have that to look forward to with Royal Antwerp. But the the fact that that can be done on a relatively modest budget, in, a, in italics obviously, in a Scottish modest budget, budget, shows you the importance of having the right view of an infrastructure, which is, you know, again, referencing that conversation with Dave King when they took over the club, not a single scout. Not a single one on the payroll, even by affiliate nature. Now you've got 
an absolute dedicated scouting and analysis department. You've got Ross Wilson in there as well and Mark Allen before him. You've got a real clear strategy and vision of a singular club internally working towards the same model, which allows you to then go and source players who can pretty rapidly either embed themselves or have got a really sharp trajectory to being first-teamers. And by and large, we've not made too many missteps in the transfer part of Steven Gerrard's reign. Yeah. You know, you can always point to an Eris Gresda and stuff like that as well. But it shows you if you get the component parts behind the scenes and infrastructure right, you will save your money, your, yourself money in the long term and you can move a little bit more agile and faster. If you compare that to other clubs in Scotland's business models, for example, where more missteps have been had, but they've had more access to money uh, in the recent couple of years, they've been able to glide over the top of that. By and large, we, we haven't been. It made us just think smarter and think quicker. It genuinely cannot be overstated how important that is. Tommy, the one thing from the chat that kind of resonated with me is as soon as I heard it, and I felt it when I, when I listened to Laura Fox speak about it, I could tell she was, um, she kind of transferred herself back to when uh, dilapidation was mentioned. As, as Rangers supporters, um, we are all extremely proud of our stadium. Um, and what it means to us uh, to get back and forward every other Saturday, to walk around the ground as and when we can, even when there's no games on, to get the chance to, to just walk around and, and look at it in awe, to be perfectly honest with you. Dilapidation is a word that is, is used with um, buildings that are hanging by a thread. It's very, very hard to believe what Dave King actually inherited that day. Yeah, and he was referencing, obviously, some of that. I mean, you know, it's a... It's an amazing facade of a club with a bricks and mortar on Edmondson Drive and it's an institutional facade for an institutional club, for one of a better way of putting it there. And when you look at that, you, I always think that the front of the stadium, Edmondson Drive, gives you a, a feeling of just how big the club is. Yeah. It's, a, it's a grandeur that, that cannot be captured by a modern stadium in any way, shape or form. Right? You can do all you want, bells and whistles on it. Right? You can have an Allianz Arena and all that kind of stuff or an Etihad. It's not the same. Right, there's a legitimacy and a permanence to Ibrooks that when you stand back, you're letting you go, that's bigger than me. Yeah. That's been here longer. It will outlast me and it will outlast the achievements of any individual. That's that's the predication of success there. It's one of the reasons why I just love looking at the stadium as well. And you guys might feel, feel similar. But yeah, he was referencing things like, I think they, they had to oversubscribe 3.5 million in terms of making repairs to the stadium and the training ground, there was, and to use his words, there were serious health and safety issues. You know, there were things that just, you, this isn't a, we would like to, this is, the council's coming in. You have to. I, the roof, for example, was well quoted at the time. And so these, these were things that were, you play it back the other way. If Dave King and the Three Bears, not a phrase I particularly like, to be honest with you, these gentlemen have their own names and they shouldn't be referred to as a collective of, uh, of Three Bears, but I'll stick with it at the moment. But if they hadn't come in and be willing to put their money on the line, much like Jordan was referencing there as well, with the promise of nothing, other than trying to save something that's close to their heart and that we all love, the council might have stepped in and went, no more games at Ibrox. And just let that sink in. You know, just you can't even play at your own home. That's a that's a level of embarrassment that thankfully we were saved. Um, but yeah, even you know, even Dave and his team were caught out by just how bad it was. 
So everyone at this Ibrox is extremely grateful to, to Laura and, and Dave for their time last week, Tommy. I recommend that you can jump on to our, our channels and, and have a listen to that. It's um, it's a very well listened to hour. I, I recommend as a range of support, we, we jump on it and have a listen. A lot of interesting stuff on there. So... Not the weekend there, but the Hamilton game. We obviously missed the pod last week because we had technical difficulties, so the, we didn't get the chance to sort of critique the Hamilton game, which we won't do in a great deal. However, one thing that I thought was glaringly obvious going from weekend to weekend was how at the weekend, Jordan, we brought back Stephen Davis and Ryan Jack, and it just gave us a, a lot more fluidity to that three in the centre of the park. Yeah, I, I think fluidity, fluency, that sort of word where it just seems less disjointed and rigid. You know, they just, uh, you know, midfield, obviously, you know, you always look at it and think you want somebody in there who's a, a cerebral type who's always thinking about where he is in relation to everybody else. And you know, Steve Davis just, <laughs> just comes so easy to him, you know. Um, but I, I think, you know, I wrote a piece the other week um, and, you know, I was speaking to people like Andy, Andy Little and... Um, uh, and Lee Wallace and obviously Lee Wallace has seen him in both spells obviously towards the, the one season before um, the financial issues but um, you know he's seen both sides of him when he's came down to Southampton and then came back up um, and you know he just says that he's reading the game and just the way he goes he says one of those players you know that as soon as you play with him you just appreciate him even more he, Andy Little said that as well he, he's not somebody that is, he wow, doesn't worry every day game he might not do something which is sticks in the mind but everything's so neat so tidy and I don't think the thing that he gets enough credit for is you know to me one of the biggest things about this season and why it's been so successful is how Rangers have just completely suffocated teams now it's lessened a bit in the last couple of months obviously when games have been a bit you know teams have had wee spells but like it's wave after wave of attack and the amount of times where teams will clear or intercept it and all of a sudden Steve Davis is five yards away from it you know, it's not that he's sprinting 30 yards. He just, he's always making sure he's edging, edging up and closing the space and just reads the game brilliantly. Um, you know, for, for a, guy, a guy at his age to be so sharp over those four or five um, yards is, uh, is superb. Um, I actually, I actually tracked in, I say I tracked in, um, I tried to keep fit during lockdown, so I ended up following this uh, Northern Irish guy and it turned out to be his brother-in-law. So <laughs> that was handy. I think people, I thought I'd done a deep dive on his brother-in-law, but um, I don't go into that much detail. But um, no, I was just talking about you know how dedicated he's always been to his fitness, you know, ever since he was at Fulham as a as a young player. Um, but I, you know, you don't get to that age and still be playing this regularly without looking after yourself. Because um, I think you know people just when you talk about the Hamilton game, like people were critical with the rotation, and I never really like a lot of that's hindsight. Obviously, looking at the result and being upset by it and thinking it's getting too complacent but like I just don't I didn't see that like Steve Davis has played 10 games in a row in 50 days you know yeah. you need to rotate and if you can't you know Zongu he played he made a start against St Mirren in the cup but he only started the league game so if you can't start him and you can't bring in Cedric Itton who had been performing really well as an impact sub like when when can you start him if you can't start him you're 20 points ahead against the team bottom in the league like it seemed to me to be a sense. It was only what three changes, and one of them was bringing in Glenn Kamara, who had also just been rested for the first time in about two months. So I think people like I get. I obviously understand. You know the fans like you know just full out. You know no rotation until the end of the season. But that's misrepresenting. I think slightly what this season's been about because it's always been 
one change, two change, three changes as a core group of 14, 15 players where you don't really, you know, it might be Balogun or Hollander, it might be Kamara or Jack, but you don't think, oh, well, that's a drop. You know, <laughs> they bring different different uh, qualities to, to depending on the opposition. Um, so I, I thought that was a bit overblown, but, you know, Hamilton was a, by far, I think, the worst performance of the season. Um, you know, had McGregor to, to thank for, for staying yeah. in it for so long. Um Obviously, you know, it felt it was a bit of a blow at the end, I think, everybody for everybody involved. But, you know, if you look at the game as a whole, I don't think you can really have any complaints with Hamilton taking the point. Um, I thought they were really good. Um, I didn't expect that performance coming, but they actually came in really pressuring just high up and they struggled with it. You know, I know, like, Kamar, um, Aribo Zungu and uh, were playing a lot flatter. It wasn't like Aribo was playing higher up, but I just think they struggled to play through it. Um, and just never really got going at all, which is strange to say because usually they may take may have a slow start, but they always come into it. Um, whereas, again, probably comes back to Steve Davis that you know that control him and Jack have got that relationship. They've got to just help dominate games. Um, Jack coming back in just has been a massive boost. Um, Tommy, we'll come to, to Ryan Jack in a second. Uh, obviously, we'll need to refer to his uh, his wonderful goal on on Saturday. I'm glad Jordan refers to to Stephen Davis. I think a lot of people will um, will remember how we speak with him a bit of regularity because he's he's very seldom anything other than very impressive. It's easy to forget that this year the the amount of football played that he has played rather has been incredible. None more so than, of course, breaking Pat Jennings' record. Um, internationally and I think that's sort of bypassed a lot of people because of it's international so it's happening every so often and he's away for four days and then he's back but as Jordan quite rightly says he's coming back to play 10 games on the bounce at a really really good quality he's he's quite the professional isn't he? I think it goes massively without saying although everything you've referenced there I completely agree with you know people talk continually about Jermaine Defoe Oh, he's in and around the squad. He keeps himself really fit. He's the ultimate professional. Well, Stephen Davis is playing a hell of a lot more football than him. Right? Yeah. He's a bit younger, but he's also doing it on the international stage and setting records and still controlling games. And that's not a criticism of Jermaine Defoe. I'm just saying no. people don't tend to give Stephen Davis the same level of thought that way. But he's actually very well into his twilight, twilight years, so to speak. And he's still got the ability to control games and probably more importantly with that um, presence make other teams midfields think about him you're always in a good position if you're making other people think about you because then they have to be reactive as opposed to proactive they can't force their game onto you which is particularly good of what is one of the things that Jack and Davis as a combination are particularly good at you know teams are reactive around about them um, as opposed to you know being proactive uh, you know not going to go back and run over the ground that Jordan's you know covered there but Hamilton by and large was probably the worst performance of the season and I say that because we didn't really massively create and it was quite refreshing though from a Rangers support perspective that we don't gnash our teeth or start throwing barriers or anything like that or chasing buses you know by and large the reaction was Hamilton could have very well had three points there to be honest with you you know yeah it feels bad because they lost it in the last second but a point's probably all we could justify, and even our manager is saying that. So it's, it's nice to see that there's, you know, we we can hold the candle up to ourselves that way sometimes. Um, that should never be forgotten. But yeah, it was, a, it was a poor performance. We didn't really get on the front foot. All of the players seemed to be off the boil at the same time. 
rotation. I, I maybe think it had a slightly bigger impact than, than, than Jordan does there. But I do appreciate that if you can rotate your squad and drop in a South African international midfielder, who, let's remember, is still trying to impress because he's on loan. Yeah. Then, you know, when can't you drop him in if it's away to the team lowest the league who've been routinely battled? Actually, strangely enough, that was Hamilton's catalyst result. You know what I mean? They've now, I think, won a, won a, won a couple or got another draw. They, they smashed Motherwell in the, the Lanarkshire derby the other day as well. Although, I think Motherwell will get man sent off. None of which was your question. Your question was all about Stephen Davis. And so yeah. I have wandered about the midfield and come back there and <laughs> just to play the square ball, which Welcome is... back, Thomas. Welcome back, son. Well, now we're going back. My beard's longer now. Um, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Stephen Davis is an absolutely top professional and somebody who's viewed as being a top professional by other professionals, always a key indicator. He's done it at the highest level internationally. He's done it at the highest level professionally, which, if you like, is the EPL. Maybe take a position on that, but it's certainly robust. And we're very lucky to have him driving us forward. You know, and him and McGregor round about the dressing room as well and damping down temples and making sure people are focused probably can't be overstated as well. Tommy, I'm going to stick with you because Kilmarnock obviously made a managerial change um, over the last couple of weeks and it was Tommy Reichst, Kilmarnock, of course, that, that came to, to Ibrox on Saturday, thankfully without a Kyle Lafferty because it would have been sod's law he started up front and maybe put the cat amongst the pigeons at the weekend. Um, I was a wee bit concerned about there just being that natural kick that you get from when a new manager came in. Um, I did feel that we kind of, we were a little bit stuffy at the weekend initially, um, but I, I felt as we eventually got into our, our stride territorially during the game, I thought we were excellent. Kept the ball well and, and thoroughly deserved the, the three points come the end of the afternoon. De- definitely. Um, I think we, I'm the same as you, you're always looking for that bounce from a team. Um, but to be honest with you, as much as I don't have anything personally against Tommy Wright, he once argued with Neil McCann. So, you know, he'll mind him and his team as far as I'm concerned. Right? So um, I'm very much a Neil McCann uh, person, as, as listeners to the podcast will know. But yeah, I, I thought, you know, there was no surprises from Kamalnock. Reasonably well set up sitting relatively deep, trying to play to their strengths, which was trying to exploit space in behind when they got the, the opportunity, which was fairly minimal anyway. I agree with you too. I thought we were slow out the box, yeah. <clears throat> by and large. Um, bit ponderous uh, and maybe a wee bit tight, if you know what I mean, uh, in terms of the final third. The, the, one of the threads running through the entire 90 minutes was some of our decision-making in the final third was horrendous. Has to be said, um, and some of the touches as well when when the, the chips were on the table, so to speak. Joe Rebo, I'm looking at you for that touch in the box, <laughs> and uh, Ryan Kent put you in. Um, notwithstanding the fact that you could have actually played it back to Ryan Kent, but that's neither here nor there as well. But a cold, what is it? It's February, isn't it? A cold February with the snow still coming down, turning into sleet. The night's starting to get a wee bit lighter, coming out of the darkness. Birds flying back from south. Uh, you know, after the winter, the grass starting to grow, which means the gardeners are going to start charging me money again. <laughs> you know, another year passed where we've managed to stay alive in what is a grim pandemic, illuminated. I'm doing my best, Archie McPherson. Illuminated in amongst the stramashes. <laughs> uh, I even I don't know where this sentence is going anymore. Um, with the own random words here. Exactly. Uh, I make a job for the athletic. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, but. 
it was a little bit of a thousand when you're locking them. <laughs> yeah, but they don't have to make any sense though. Oh, well, I suppose uh, that's how I get to that number. Uh, Andre Ple- Plevin, it's uh, no, not necessarily in the right order, but um, as a, not a joke for the younger bears there, it has to be said. But yeah, eliminated by the, the one piece of quality on, on display, which was Ryan Jack's goal and probably more importantly, his first touch as well. Jordan, I would suggest that Ryan Jack probably now has two candidates for goal of the season come mid-May. Yeah, I know. Actually, I, I wrote about that. Um, just about the actual overall, um, <laughs> you know, the overall trajectory of his career as a midfielder, evolution, if you want to call it that, because, you know, obviously, I think, Pedro Cascino, when he came in, um, said something the equivalent of, you know, we want him <laughs> to, to get the, the, the ball deep and, and break up and start playing and break up play. Um, but obviously, since Gerrard came in, he's a lot more box to box and, you know, he's your sort of perfect number eight for, for, this, um, for this team. But, you know, you look at the volley, obviously, that was a spectacular strike. But, you know, he shot for distance up at um, Dingwall last season. I thought he was, you know, that was right in the peak of form last season where, he was playing just unbelievable football in every game. I think you could argue his man of the match. Um, just so never losing it. Like it wasn't even just playing safe passes, but um, I think the goal you're talking about the other week, where you know he just came on um, against Ross County and got the ball in sort of right back position, and you just instantly seen him, you know, open up his legs and start galloping forward. And like you don't realise how. He actually looks a bit bigger as well, physically, when you see him. Um, I don't know whether that's something they've been doing, obviously, with the time off or whatever, but um, like the way the way he linked up, started the move, kept it, and then manipulated it into it, and carried on his run, checked his shoulder, and then just took it first time. You're like, this guy should be doing this 10 times a season. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I know it's asking a lot for somebody who is obviously playing in quite a, a structured midfield and doing a certain role, but... Like, you do think he's got that in his locker. He doesn't get flustered when he's in the final third. Um, he doesn't get there enough for me. Like I, I still think he could be freed up. Um, I spoke about you know Scott Arfield. You look at you look at he's obviously playing a, a different role, but you know he still does box to box jobs at different times depending on who's who he's playing with. Um, I, I think Jack is as good as he is and as important as he is. I still think I know he's twenty eight now, but I still think you could get another four or five goals at him a season. Um, you know, I don't think it's something they'll be making a big deal about or, or, or you know, making a priority. I imagine they would want a, a proper attack midfielder at some point. But, um, you know, I just I, I think he's a quality player and um, the way that he takes his goals, you do think that he, he has got the ability to go to that next level and add that next strength to his ball. Tommy, we've spoken on the pod previously about uh, just wee technical things that, that happen in the lead-up to a goal. Instantly, I'm thinking about... Um, the Morelos goal at Pitodri when he lets it roll across and then spins back and fires it in the opposite direction. The one thing that, for me, that made uh, Ryan Jack's goal so special at the weekend was his first touch prior to his connection to rattling out in the roof of the net. If he if he gets that touch wrong, I don't think he scores. Um, he got it absolutely perfectly, so that just nestled down on his boot, which meant the execution was perfect. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Although I'd probably go even slightly further, which is if he doesn't get the first touch right, um, it's not that he doesn't score, he doesn't take the shot on. Yeah. Because psychologically it'll bobble up, he'll just try and get his body in front of it and try and play it off or play it back, or the defender will come come through it. So, I, And I think Kerry Thompson was referencing this in the, the, the commentary as well, which is 
the value, and we've all played the game to some degree, right? Um, at some level, right? <laughs> Depending very much looking up the way. You had to claim that you've pulled us off, five or six things. <laughs> listen, I, I, I have actually, I have actually scored from the halfway line. Have you? I swear to God, I scored in a. It's, it's not, it's not fancy that like, but I scored in a boys' brigade league match from the oh. halfway line on a red ash pitch. Let it bounce in front of me and smashed it over the keeper. I kid you not, that is a absolute hand up to whichever god you pray to. Before kickoff. That's <laughs> a no, day before. There was no doing a pitch. <laughs> I just written goalkeeper in the in the ash. <laughs> well, I swear, I swear, in a in a league match for the boys' brigade, smacked away over the keeper. Uh, I dipped right over the top of him. Um, anyway, now they're getting there. Um, but yeah, I think Kevin Thompson was referencing that everything comes down to how good your first touch is, and if you know, just to broaden that out a little bit, whilst Ryan Jack gets tons of plaudits for that, I think his first touch has got held a lot better. Coaching, agree with Jordan, more goals out of him would be amazing, take his game to the next level. If you are looking about the, the team and you're looking for a, a first touch master, Hadji will be in there for a fight as well. I get it from a finishing perspective. Jermaine Defoe will jump in. Might as well just go and speak to Joe Rebo because he's your best your best bet for that. Yeah, he likes those plucking at 60 yards at the air, doesn't he? As if he doesn't he sleep. Uh, I think it's an incredible. I'm trying to remember, there was one in particular. I don't know if it was maybe. It was one, I think, it was at Celtic Park, I think, last. Uh, and it, it came down with a NASA badge on it, and <laughs> yeah. it's just it's just taking it down and moved on. You're thinking, I'd just love to do that once. Yeah. <laughs> just once. I was going to say, <laughs> I, I spoke to one of the boys that used to play in um, Kinetic Academy, which is like an academy for sort of like inner city um, boys in London, and he used to call him uh, what was it? He used to call him Mister Tickle. <laughs> because his arms and his legs are so like you know the guy's like ten yards in front of him and he just sticks at his leg like inspector gadget and just wins it back. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's incredible. Do you know actually not that we're speaking directly about Joe Rebora, but do you know what constantly amazes me about well impresses me about him? You see him initially and you think you see the way he moves the ball and that kind of running style and his gait and all that and you think, Oh, I'm just really worried he's gonna be one of these guys who's not up for the physicality of it. Yeah. And then he absolutely is. His yeah. ability to force himself into positions, to force himself by defenders and putting in challenges is one of the highlights, actually. He's got all the talent, but it looks like he's also got the fight for it, as does Yanis Hadji, actually, has to be said. I was going to say, sorry, I was just going to say, Aribo's like one of those boys, I think, that like his, his physique and his frame almost sort of like belies his like, aggression yeah. and his power. Like he's a powerful boy, but because he's so slight, probably, people forget that he's, you know, he's not... Because he moves in a languid way, doesn't he mean that he's no physical? I always think that's a really unfair criticism that he somehow doesn't really put in a defensive shift. And I'm like, I mean, I've not checked the numbers, but I'm pretty sure he's a regular. Um, you know, regularly wins back the ball. Um, he's still a, still. A, I still think he's, there's much more to get him. Um, it's just a case of how, where, what positions do you want to get him in? You know, where where's his starting position? Because I think at the start of the season when it, you saw them trial that in France where it was sort of like, you know, playing a three but then him sort of a lot more forward on the left hand side. They've done that a few yeah. times obviously, but you know, you saw that though that I think, you know, the the less instruction you give somebody like that, probably the better. Yeah. Jordan, you've you've sort of referenced physicality there a couple of times and it takes us quite nicely on to Cedric Itton, who started at the at the weekend. I actually thought he led the line reasonably well at the weekend. I think with, with any striker when he comes in after maybe a period of, 
of game time off the bench, you almost look at it as disappointed because he didn't score. But I actually thought he certainly worked hard. He's got a great work ethic around him. And I actually thought he played relatively well on Saturday afternoon. No, I agree with that as well. I thought he did well at Hamilton, um, considering the limited service he got. Like, yeah. Considering a lot of the balls are sort of pretty back to front, um, I thought he did really well with some nice touches. Um, I, I thought he got himself into like, brilliant positions at times. I think right after the second half, I thought Rangers played really well for 10-15 minutes. Could have killed the game. There wasn't even massive chances, but there was big opportunities there, whether it was just a case of the timing of the final ball or whatever. Um, but the thing I like about him is like he's really he's not going to run away from you at all he's just not got that bust of pace so he's always got to be really intelligent and give yourself a head start but I think he's really good when you saw people get on the, on the half turn in the second half especially and he just peels away just he knows when to hold his run and make the angle um, and he's, he's first touch as well um, without going you know first, good first touch for a big man but he's uh, you know he, like he is really good he's a good hold up player um, I think the better he is, the, the more dominant I think you are, the better he is. Because, again, he's not going to counter you, but I think if you can get the ball played into his feet around the box, he's got that good peripheral vision where he can take people's movement and just lay it around the corner or lay it off and spin. Um, I think the, the, the deeper he comes and the longer he's got to think about it, he can get a wee bit sort of, you know, autopilot and looking at a wee, a wee, bit, a wee bit slow to release it. Um, so, I, I think he's just, he's just a good penalty box striker, I think. But, it's probably unfair to call him that because uh, he's, a, he's a really hard-working um, striker who leads the line himself. But I do think up with another, another striker who, who is what suits him the most. Um, I think that's why Gerrard's probably used him as that sort of in off the right. I, I was it, right nine, I think, Gerrard called it, I think, once. Um, you know, he started twice against Kelly and they went a wee bit long, longer in, but wasn't he massive balls up to his head? Because I don't think he's... He's no, he's no brilliant in there. He's... His games about the ball on the feet and bringing others into play. Um, so I think it's St Gallen as well. Like they used to play that sort of split striker, um, and he would drift into that right channel. I think he's really good at that. A couple of times at the weekend, he probably probably too aware of the fact that he's not got that burst of pace, so he decides to wait and wait and then shift it. Um, again, that's just adapting to Scottish football and the fact that you probably won't get that time at times. Um, but the good thing is that unlike signings in recent years. He's had that time to bed in and it's not expected to score 30 goals in his first season. So no, I think he's, he'll be quite happy, probably wanting to play a bit more football. But I don't. Th- I think he's done well in the minutes he's, he's been given. Tommy, you reckon we'll see a bit more of Itton after we get this league over the line, I think, don't you? I, th- I think that would probably be, probably be fair, especially when you're maybe staring down the barrel of you know, maybe Alfredo Morelos leaving. At the end of the season as well, who do you, you know, do you give the best farewell to? That said, it's all about getting these results first, and I'll take any eleven that can get me the results, um, any squad that can get me the results as well, so to speak. But yeah, I mean, it would make sense because he's been bought for the long term. He's still a bit of a project. He's young. He, he does have some rough edges. Um, I think he's done reasonably well. I think he, the last couple of games that he's played. I agree. Some things have worked. Some things haven't. He is better drifting off into the channels. He's he's rel- a relatively intelligent runner, but he's been hampered by a bit that the runners haven't been close enough to him as well. Some of his layoffs haven't been been great. They've been a bit clunky actually. Um, and then it's just getting used to that. How is somebody going to bust from midfield over me? Who can I lay it back to? Can I get into the box? That type of stuff. 
once that settles down. But yeah, he's a long-term option for us, whereas you're maybe looking at other members of the squad who aren't. Um, aye, that's it. It would just be nice to actually turn up to a game where we don't have any of our strikers suspended. Um, I'll, I'll happily I'll happily take that at some point between now and the end of the season. But but yeah, I think there's there's definitely a talent in there and we will hopefully see even more of them next season uh, as well. But yeah, he's, he's shown what he can do in flashes. Um, you know, the good chance actually at the weekend where it just was a bit ponderous on shifting it out the defender. I think uh, some of his goal in Europe where he shifted it and he kind of whipped it in the top top of the net. He is a little bit languid on that, and his thought process seems to be a wee bit behind his feet sometimes. But a uh, young player will take that all, all all the time if we play to his strengths. So Tommy, you um, spoke about um, maybe players going beyond that sort of figurehead up front and in this case it was Cedric Gittin <laughs> last two weeks or the last couple of games Hamilton at Hamilton and then Kilmarnock at Ibrox at the weekend we've seen a couple of cameo appearances from Scott Wright and I have to say um, I've been very impressed so far very impressed and yeah he's looked uh, well do you know what I'm, I'm going to say I've been I've been alright impressed yes uh, I did see a lot on social media as well people people saying that uh, you know he's been really really good and stuff like that um, and funny, I obviously compare them to Sasa Papach because of the looks type of thing. <laughs> um, but I think he's been all right in the cameos, but some of his decision-making has been a bit poor as well. Yeah, um, Not poor, maybe a little bit strong, but, you know, for example, the Hamilton game where he burst into the box when it was still 1-0, kind of taking a shot on instead of trying to lay it off to Tav. Um, at the weekend, once or twice where he could have maybe driven forward with the ball and he wants to lay it off. But that, again, that comes with it. Am I undermining the player? Absolutely not. He's young, Scottish, looks like a really good talent, really intelligent player, nice wee touches. Doesn't seem to be too worried about putting himself about either. So again, for a really cheap uh, business model, uh, you know, it's a bit cliched and a bit easy and lazy of me, but I'm going to do it anyway. Falls into that Glenn Kamara cheapness bucket. Yeah. But if, if that's what we can do, if we can pick up good emerging Scottish talent within the Scottish League, for relative peanuts, technical phrase, and then get the best out of them before moving them on. All, all fantastic as far as I'm concerned. He looks like somebody who has immediately shown more than the likes of, let's say, a Jake Hasty or something like that. Yeah, Certainly looks like a more intelligent player than, than Jake Hasty, although I look forward to welcoming Jake Hasty and Glenn Middleton and all the rest of the players who are out going back to the squad at some point. Well, some of them, actually. There's a couple maybe I wouldn't welcome back, but... <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's fair. Jordan, so when we, we got um, Scott Wright on pre-contract, I think it was largely expected that there was a chance we would maybe not see him until the summer due to financial packages it was trying to get worked out, etc. Um, and even when he did come in, I think a lot of people thought you're still not going to see a lot of him up until maybe the end of the year. However, he seems to have fitted in quite well to the, the ethos of the way that we play when he has been involved in these two substitute appearances. I know definitely. I mean, um, I mean, I was sad enough to actually go back and watch. I think maybe about thirty games or something, just to so so a clue what I was talking about. But you know, as soon as you look at him, like I, I think if you're looking for a player that would suit how Rangers play and for that position, then you know he is tailor made in terms of profile. That's no me saying he's going to come in and be a world beater and play forty games a season, but does he suit the style? Yeah, and I think it probably suits him more than. Um, Aberdeen even though at the start of the season I think you know they were playing a bit better football um, but 
you know, he's moved to a left winger into a more of a central attack midfielder playing behind two strikers or playing, you know, two either side of strikers. So it's no too different. Um, obviously, it'll be a lot more structured, but I actually think that'll help him where he's not floating around everywhere trying to go on the ball. I think, you know, a bit of positional discipline and, you know, um, teaching her how to play in the system. I think if you get him into those pockets, he's got electric sort of electric pace for stand and start, and he's got that low centre of gravity that you want. Um, I mean, I mean, like Ty Kennedy's obviously somebody I've spoken about, um, and that was one of the things that I said. I said, you know, you need to be sure that he's not going to end up blocking them. But I think when you look at when Tommy was referencing the, the players in those positions, you look at at right and you look at Kennedy, and to me, you would rather have those two. Um, and I think there's still plenty of plenty of room to bring in probably one or two more um, in the summer but I think it was a good deal to get done early especially when you had the McCrory um, sort of stick to use and in fact in, in negotiations um, I think it was a smart deal for the club um, and, and obviously getting him in better him in and the fact that he's eligible for the Europa League as well I think some people thought that you know he probably wouldn't be able to play because he'd played in the qualifiers for Aberdeen but obviously that rule get changed there a few years ago, so um, you know he did. He actually came on against one of the games I watched was Sporting Lisbon away, and came on as a sub and had a brilliant twenty minutes. So I think when you're looking at these type of players in Scotland, that there's no dozens that are going to be able to take, make a step up. And Rangers are now sort of Europa League, hoping to get to Champions League level. So you've got to sign players that you think can come in at that level and add to it. Um, you know whether whether he will is obviously dependent on how he adapts and. Uh, and how he improves his game because he's obviously got to develop but I think he's got all the attributes if he can you know he came back for that terrible injury um, but I think most people are surprised that he didn't start um, he, he, he didn't cement himself in Aberdeen's team a lot earlier um, this is the first real season where he's been one of the mainstays um, again to me he just seems like a you know if Kent needs taking it you've got somebody who you think you can put in and maybe rotate whereas there's no math I don't think the drop's probably as big as it has been at other times. Jordan, I'm going to stick with Thursday we have the Europa League kicking back off again, so it's a kind of it's a break from league duty to big European game, of course. Um, and we're we're back against Belgian opposition, of course, after taking care of Standard Liège. Antwerp, who I think have are sitting above Standard Liège in in their respective leagues just now. Do you think we can we can get by this two-legged affair? Do you think we'll get by Antwerp over the course of the piece? Um, I mean, it's it's hard to say because um, you know usually I like to watch the the opposition in detail before I before I go to the game. But um, it's been it's been busy trying to prepare for um, what is you know without jinxing it a title win hopefully. <laughs> so um, I, I've no time, but I, I know. Um, uh, the, the coach there, Vakotarin, um, who, who used to manage um, Kim Alruf at Anderlecht, um, he's obviously really well respected and you know he's, he's a good reaction for the for the team clearly since he since he's gone in there. But you know, I think he, he was talking about during the week the fact that um, they've got a bit of an injury problem or availability problem with the strikers. Um, I think there's an ongoing issue with the, the strikers Z. I think it's Z how you pronounce it, but. Um, I've got. They've obviously got a problem with that. Um, but I think when the draw was made, you looked at some of the teams that Rangers could have got, and you would probably have been happy with that. Again, that's just using Liège as a as a sort of standard bearer. But they were a good side, Liège. I, I, I think, especially at Ibrox, I thought they were um, they were quite a test. Um, so I don't think you know Belgian teams, the top Belgian teams, will be a walkover by any 
by any means. And, and Rangers, again, probably like last season, if you talked about the Rangers in the first half of the season when they were in the, the thicker Europe, I think you would probably think you fancy them. But they've obviously lost momentum a bit. And the, the thing that I was always, oh, oh, no argument with people, but you know, putting my side across in the first half of the season when it was the qualifiers, I was always talking about you know how I don't think they should look at European games as a sort of you know something to detract from them or, or disrupt the team. I actually think it sharpens them because the, the domestic games tend to be so you know tends to be so attack via defence most of the time and it's repetitive and almost like you get too much time in the ball and you're on third. So I think that sort of task where you're constantly thinking and you're almost in a, de- a defensive mindset where you know Rangers just revert, revert to the shape they've been using. I actually think that. When you get into the thicket again and they're, they're playing against these top teams, it actually does quicken the decision making and it sharpens up the football. So um, I always think that, you know, you've been seeing it last season when they were struggling and they produced that performance, you know, second half of Ibraga and then the away leg as well. Um, so it could be one of these things that just almost teases them up again and gives them a bit of excitement because playing behind closed doors can kind of be easy for players. Um, so I definitely think it's something that sort of livens up the senses. Tommy, the um, Europa League could prove to be a bit of a, I don't want to say a distraction because I think, I know exactly what you're going to say from a domestic perspective, I on the prize and I get that. However, I just wonder how um, Stephen Gerrard will view these games coming up against Antwerp as perhaps the, an opportunity to rotate even further or does he see it as an opportunity to progress even further? In, in the European stages? It's an interesting one, and we referenced earlier, obviously, the, the income element to that as well, and the coefficient element uh, of that. You are absolutely right, but I'll say it anyway, in terms of being <laughs> my, I'll take getting thumped off uh, Royal Antwerp, it means I get my I get my hands on the silverware that I really want at the end of the season. Right? No ifs, no buts, no maybes, that's it. But, yeah, I think there will be some changes. You know, we got really lucky because it's a short haul flight and stuff like that, and you don't want to, you know, be getting any any jet lag issues, and you particularly don't want to be getting a long flight when it's in the COVID era, shall we say? Um, you know, Antwerp not a bad side. I think as John was saying, they were second uh, in the Belgian league at the moment, though they might have played one more game um, than than some other people. So I don't know if Belgium works the same as Scotland, where games in hand are just immediately classed as wins. By, by some fans, uh, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure how, how that works in terms of Europe. But um, and I think they do drew yesterday. Maybe drew yesterday with Standard Liège one each, and were beaten by the yeah. Eagles one Club Bruges, uh, and they were beaten the week before by Club Bruges, who are leading the league yeah. as well. Um, uh, three, three, one. It was, yeah. yeah. So I mean, they're not in a, an amazing, you know, kind of run at the moment. And Jordan's referenced some of the issues they've got with maybe some of their squad. But for Steven Gerrard, yeah, we want to win because it's a, it's a real tie that we can win. We, we can progress. And so I expect a strong team to be fielded home and away. But it would make sense to rotate where we can. One of the problems with that, that will probably be in Steven Gerrard's mind somewhere, is I tried the rotation at Hamilton for people to stake a claim and be able to say I can rely on them. And by and large, they didn't. Well, I, to be fair, actually, when I'm saying that, I'm thinking particularly of Zungu, and I'm not picking on Zungu, but he's kind of waiting for a performance from him because everybody's behind him, uh, and he wasn't able to do it at, uh, at Hamilton. But maybe the European stage is a better place for him. I, I think there'll be some changes, not wholesale, let's put it that way. I think you'll definitely see Morelos come back in, though. 
Yeah. So, Jordan, I think just the, the big thing for me is that we're now at a stage, because the Europa League is now back, we're going to go back to that, all things being well, sort of midweek, um, Sunday, midweek again. Um, the further and further that you, you go in the tournament, in the Europa League, um, I think Steven Gerrard's going to be forced to rotate, and we could have, as Tommy says, a couple of these sort of Hamilton performances where the changes that are made maybe just don't bear fruit as you'd like them to. I agree, but, you know, I don't look at, like, you know, when we're managing that sort of um, fixture load in, uh, earlier in the season, like, you know, who could, who's going to probably come in, like, you know, Balogun for Holanda probably in terms of style, um, or you might have a Rebo playing instead of Hadji just for that sort of more dynamism and at the European level, but, yeah, like, is that I don't really think that's sort of resting your player. Again, it comes back to the fact that there's that cold group where it's hard to differentiate between first choice. Like you can put Kent, even Morelos now you could say, you know, will Roof play off the right or will Roof go play through the middle? Yeah. I mean, if you're a betting person, you'd probably say Morelos with Roof on the right, but um just to add that sort of potency um at the top level. But you know, you don't if it's no roof and it's what Arivo is. You know, I don't think you look at that and think, oh, he's clearly you know rested this. So if it's a, if it's a domestic game, is it? Oh, he's, he's looking forward to the, the European game. I just don't don't see it like that. I mean, I think they're they're so close to getting over the line now that it would be foolish to me not to have a proper crack at a tournament where you're in the last thirty-two. Anything could happen, and a lot of the te- big teams. There's a good few ties there where the bigger teams have drawn each other. <laughs> and through that, you don't know how open it could be, especially. And also, you know, don't want to put too much emphasis on the fact that it's a COVID season, but you know, you've seen shocks happen, so you don't really know what. what it'd be foolish to me, especially when, as we thought about earlier, how just how like, transformative it could be if this season Rangers could sort of single-handedly drag Rain, drag Scotland um, as a sort of coefficient nation above Ukraine and see what that see what that spot. Um, I mean that would be basically teeing up their own <laughs> their own success next season, um, giving themselves another carrot to finish top. So um, I I just see rotation problem. I, I would call it rotation on sort of you know resting, mixing and matching for me. Yeah, the only thing I'd add to that. Sorry, Scott. Okay. Just the only thing I'd add to that, and you guys might agree or disagree. I think by and large, when people think of changes or they slash get worried about the changes and stuff for that and performances dropping off don't think they're talking or thinking about up front a roof or a Morelos or an Itten and all that which has tended to look after itself and Itten obviously on the third tier of that or playing people off the right or anything like that or indeed Hollander for Balogun or even a McLaughlin for a uh, McGregor I think what really solidifies their mind is the midfield yeah that's the that's the key the key area of change and right now it's a, do you go with a Kamara, Jack, um, Davis, where does Arfield fit in? What do you do with the, the Joe Rebo question? Uh, what about Zungu? Yeah, yeah, I think that's actually where the conversation lies. I think the other changes kind yeah. of look after themselves and we've consistently seen there's no real drop-off when those guys come in. It's just I was going to say that, Tom, I agree with that. Um, but, like, uh, you know, you look at the sort of what's been the European midfield and you go Davis, Kamara, Jack. Like, it's just almost, it's just so reliable. Um, you just know, uh, you know, away from home that it's just going to deliver a, a solid performance. Um, yeah. Obviously, Rangers are going to be wanting more than that, but 
um, you know, I, I think that's a great base. And if you've got that base of like seven defending, I just, I, I just think you can't really go wrong when it. Obviously, our field's just back after a layoff, so um, I, I think those three really complement each other really well. Especially when you, if you are fitting Ruth and Morelos in, it just gives you that added sort of security behind it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's a huge testament to the um, the squad that Stephen Gerrard and his his coaching staff have built this season because you're very aware, and we spoke about this on the pod previously, Tommy, that if you are um, making changes, dropping midfielder or dropping one of the two that are playing out either side, it's quality for quality, literally. You're you're not bringing in someone who isn't as good as the guy who's sitting it out. You're, You're very aware that you are sort of replacing good with good as opposed to good with not quite as good. Do you understand what I mean, you know? Yeah, that consistency of performance, you know, it's almost like football's a team game, (laughs) you know know what I mean, Um, and that you need to have your standout performers, but what Rangers have been really good at, and the coaching's been really good at, and the assessment and analysis and transfer acumen has been really good at, and there's been a wee bit of luck throughout the season as well, is sourcing players who can get into the squad and fight fight for jerseys. And Gerard and the team have been great at keeping people who have not been able to do that quite happy and out on the periphery. You've not heard a lot of bad, bad noise. That's that's a that's a skill and an art in itself. Yeah. But when people have come into the squad, by and large, right, ninety nine percent of the time, there's been no drop off in individual or collective performance, and so we've managed to get through. And then a thread over the top of that is some of those players who have come in or had dips throughout the season or whatever have actually contributed. You know, they've come in and they've nicked a goal. They've got the winner. They've you know blocked that shot. They've kept kept us in it. And actually, if you've got all the squad doing that and adding in and chipping in their wee bits throughout the season, all of a sudden you find yourself four wins from the title. Yeah, that's the importance of getting the right people in the squad, and shows you exactly what Stephen Gerrard, by and large, was talking about when he said three-year cycle. This is what people mean. Unless you've got a huge budget, you don't get the chance to overhaul a squad immediately. What you need to do is you need to build it brick by brick and iterate it. And once you get to version three, you've got something that can stand up and really make a testament to itself. This is version three of the Steven Gerrard iteration, four wins from the title, and pretty much everybody in that squad has contributed by and large. That's that's a great news story. So listen, we're just about done for another week. Before we do go, Jordan, I'm going to come back to you and ask you, how's it felt as a journalist covering Rangers this season based on everything that we knew the season was going to be, stopping 10 in a row, getting our 55th, which was obviously all the focus that we were looking after. Um, but taking into account the sort of previous seasons and the times that, that, that you've been doing your role, particularly at Athletic, how have you found it this season? It's a weird one. Like, people always ask you, because obviously, like, you know, as journalists, like, we're obviously really lucky to be able to still go to games. Um, so it's a strange one, sort of sitting in an empty stadium and being just seeing banners and seats and sort of none of the normal sounds that you associate with a football game. Um, even the smell like the only <laughs> game that you last game you're sort of up was your Leverkusen um or before that was Hamilton. Um where, you know, it was just that it turned so toxic at the end and you, you know, sitting where the press usually sit, you can just sort of hear just how unhappy people were in the last twenty minutes of that game. Um so to go through that is your sort of last last memory of what a normal sort of league game looks like to then sitting and it's just like a just strip back and it's essentially just went you know it's putting it simply but it's hard to describe it any other way than sort of 
you could be somewhere else watching it, but you could be anywhere apart watching it essentially, because um, it just is so so stripped back. And uh, the one thing I've enjoyed is hearing people like Conor Goldson or, or hearing the tactical instructions going. Like I've tried to, you know, they've moved us further back up the up the stadium um, at games, so it's <laughs> it's hard to hear. No, I don't know. That's because I was I was hearing too much or whatever. But, um, but it's definitely interesting hearing like people from Campbell sitting um, sitting a bit higher up, get an elevated view, and then. Players sort of communicating with each other or having a go at the refs always quite funny. Um, but you know, apart from those sort of highlights, like it's just not the same. You know what I mean? Like uh, you can just see it almost the game just goes into a low. Um, where especially if one team's comfortable, there's just not that. There's always usually sort of two and throwing games, whereas it's just it can be just constant. You know, as much as that is the team performing well, I think you know, especially at away grounds as well, like, teams just don't have that sort of that guttural reaction where they're spurred on for, for 15, 20 minutes and, and get on top. So I think it, the best coach teams, uh, it might be, might be wrong, but it does seem to me that the teams who are coached to within an inch of their life and who really can just play the football and you know concentrate on what they've worked on constantly, you know, for, for three years in Rangers' case, like, it seems to me that they, you know, even these sort of, and under these sort of conditions because they're not relying on anything else to to motivate them or produce a, a reaction. I mean that may be putting it simply, but I think that's one of the one of the factors which Rangers have, have coped well with. Um is just playing their own game. And I think it's probably helped their calmness as well in terms of um yeah. in terms of breaking teams down because they've not got that the fans on their back when they get edgy. Um at the same time they've probably not got that, you know, sharpness or that adrenaline pumping through them but I think it works both ways but as a journalist like it's you know covering, covering Rangers the easier your job is is the better they're doing so <laughs> you know, of course you, you hope that they win every game because it's easier for you, for you to write about um, so do I um, no it's been a great season to cover Rangers in terms of the football so um, I you know you kind of complain when they've, they've no lost off even in the league I think from a personal point of view, um, I'm incredibly envious of the fact that he's actually getting to go back and forward to the games this season, Tommy, are you not? I, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm, I wake up dreaming about my, my seat sitting there freezing. Um, although I would say when you see the smells of the game, I think you're maybe thinking of a different club. Um, <laughs> uh, but but maybe, maybe I'm wrong there. Um, answers, in the, answers in the comments. Not, but no, I think, listen, I think we all miss it. Uh, there's there's nobody who is lucky enough to be able to get to games, you know, in normal circumstances, but paying for it, who doesn't miss it as well. Thankfully, Rangers have been really good in terms of the RTV coverage, and really uplifted some of that. And you know, to Jordan's wider point, there, it's been a really thrilling season and a good season for us so far. Fingers yeah. crossed, all that kind of four game uh, boilerplate wording again. And let's just hope that it ends with the. Uh, with what we're all hoping for, which is a myriad of social media videos of people partying in the house and various different Rangers get-ups, because that's what we're all looking for, you know. And then we'll finally get back to that stadium that we were talking about that uh, has went through all those enhancements and is no longer dilapidated. And hopefully, most importantly, there's a wee space that's been filled on the wall next to Bill Struth with an extra wee mini flag put right next to it. That's what we're all hoping for, so fingers crossed for it. Yes, yes. 
We should say uh, just a couple of things before I, I, I let you guys disappear for the, the pod this week. Rangers have been um, good enough to uh, give us access to the women's team. So at some point in March, early March, we reckon, um, we're very pleased to announce that we'll be release, releasing the women's pod. So Tommy and I will, will have some some coverage to discover uh, to cover as far as the women's pod is concerned. So really looking forward to that and more details to come via all our social channels as, as time goes by. I should also say that last week, this was Ibrox, was one year old, incredibly. Um, it's, it's hard to believe that we've been getting away with it for 12 months, frankly. <laughs> um, we've managed and we should say a huge thank you to everyone that's followed us. All our guests have been on. Um, and all the people behind the scenes, I, I, I look at uh, our editor, Adam, Sam, Billy, uh, myself, Tommy, Willie, we're, we're hugely grateful for the, um, the support we've had both um, in and around the, the media in Scotland and, and people closely connected with the club. So we've been very fortunate a year and um, fingers crossed we continue to, to go from strength to strength, Mr McIntyre. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I I couldn't, couldn't put it any any better myself. You know, really, really thankful to everybody who's who's helped contribute um, to it, and we've managed to do a full year having never ever been in the same room. I know it's incredible, isn't it? That's the secret to our success that nobody's yeah. uh, no nobody's got up close and personal yet with a disagreement. <laughs> yeah. You're hoping in lockdown for another year then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, you know, that's, that's when it will fall apart. Um, yeah, but no, listen, we've been very lucky. We've been well received by the fans, by media people such as yourself, Jordan, by our guests, ex-players, people like Dave King as well, and indeed the club itself. So, yeah, thanks, thanks to all. And uh, let's hope that our first season is also our first... Our first, not the club's first league title. Just want to be really clear about that last part. <laughs> Jordan, listen, I appreciate you coming on and, and joining us in the pod again. We will we'll try and get you on for a hat trick perhaps before the, the end of the season. I don't, I, I say, don't leave it another year. That's it. Congratulations on the, the milestone. And, uh, I, thanks for. Thanks for having me on. It's always a good listen. So uh, apart from when I'm on, of course. So um, well, you might want to leave it for another year. Maybe I don't know. You can tell me. Um. <laughs> so thank Tommy. Um, you'll be free to join us next week. I think Willie Boyd will be be sort of free in his diary for us next week as well. Yes, back on. That's me back. I'm. Uh, I, I've had my holiday. I'm back now. Sabbatical over. Sabbatical over. Yeah, that's it. Go, just go, in time for. I'm just a glory hunter. I'm just in time for the for the league running. That's I'm back. Listen, this week. <laughs> I'm just. I'm going to slowly take bits of it off. So by the time we're due to win it, I'll just be sitting here with a task and a magnum <laughs> PI style. Yeah, style. Yeah. <laughs> this, this week's pod will be available across all of our, our usual channels, Acast, Spotify, and YouTube. By all means, leave a comment in there, and and please again. Um, subscribe to, to all the good things that we do. Good luck to, to Rangers on Thursday against Antwerp and Sunday at home to Dundee United, which we will cover next Monday night, and then look ahead to the, the next leg of the Republic. Good luck to Rangers, and we'll do it all again next week. Thanks for watching. Bye bye. Like an animal, something so physical. Burn it down. Let your fear out. Let your fear You're listening to This Is Ibrox, your Rangers podcast, brought to you by Triple H Mortgages, the one-stop shop for all your mortgage and mortgage insurance needs. 
Contact them on 01453887179 or via email hello at hhhmortgages.com.